0: Dude, literally bawling watching Disc Golf Network, man. Got to hang out with Matty O before. He's just the best dude, man. To see it finally, finally happen in such a cool way. It's such a cool tournament, man. Ah, that, that was honestly my favorite moment of the year. I don't even think it's close.
1: She's a warrior. The fact that she's journeyed from literally picking rice all day to us speaking about her as an elite professional athlete, she's resilient. Nobody puts in work on the putting green like Owen Scoggins. Nobody has more passion. Nobody's more excited to be there.
0: Two of disc golf's most beloved players got their first wins in 2023. Today on the Line, we'll talk about Owen Scoggins and Matty O and look ahead to the 2024 season here on the Statmando Podcast Network. Welcome in to the final episode of the Line for this off season. Steve here with Emily. We promised you last week, Evan Kearns, he got a little busy and couldn't make it today. So Emily and I are just holding down the fort today to wrap up. We're going to talk about two first time winners on Disc Golf Pro Tour from the 2023 season, Matt Ora, Matteo and Owen Scoggins. So let's start with Owen. Emily, you got to play against her at the Shelley Sharp Open a few weeks ago that she won. What is it about Owen's game that has led her to such success?
2: I think there are a few factors, and I'm probably going to say things we've heard before, but that's because those are not inaccurate. So The number one thing is the fearless putting. Just from anywhere to any basket. So if you're familiar with Shelly Sharp at all, you know that there are a lot of elevated baskets and there are a lot of baskets on slopes or perched near OB. And there was even a moment during the round where after she drained this amazing putt, she said to the rest of us like, why didn't you all tell me to lay up? (laughs) I need to learn to lay up. And all of us are just incredulous. She would even say that. It's like, well, we would never tell you to lay up. Like, did you see you just hit that putt? Like, I would tell you to go for it every time. So to me, that is just such a huge thing because it's the confidence to go for it, knowing even if you miss, you'll make the comebacker. But it's also taking so much pressure off the preceding shots when you feel really confident as long as you're going to have a look at the basket. Huge, huge part of her success. And the other aspect, I think, is what people have touched on. It's the consistency. She obviously does have a really unique play style. Uh, She favors the forehand, I think, a little bit, especially she is a smidge injured still. So she definitely prefers the forehand now over the backhand. But she really likes the flex shots kind of no matter what. But the upside of having such a specific game plan is that she always knows how she should attack the holes and how she should play for birdie or play for par because she has these go-to shots that she's going to use wherever she is on the course. I think that lends itself to a lot of predictability in her game plan. And that consistency means that she kind of rarely finds herself having to go for some unexpected hero shot in a landing zone she's never seen before, too. So those are the two key things, I think, that have really helped her and led her to a ton of success.
0: And the ability and the confidence to hit those puts from circle 1 circle 2 also just takes so much more pressure off the rest of the game so great points there that probably feeds into the consistency of I'm not worried about putting it absolutely under the basket because if I'm 50 out I can still make that putt.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, she got her first Elite win at DGLO in 2023. That win came 4,025 days after her first cash. It's the longest stretch of any FPO player since the start of the Elite era. The next longest was Paige Shue at 2,576 days. That's four years shorter than own. And really in a very different way with Shue being so young when she won versus own starting the game later in life. Meanwhile, own was the first masters eligible player to win an open elite or major event since Elaine King almost 20 years ago. And that stretches not only the longest by first cash to win, but also from first elite or major start to win. Uh, That was 3,766 days. So Just a fantastic win for her, a real career highlight, and maybe we'll see some more as we get into this 2024 season. She also has two silver wins. She's got five Masters majors, 14 FPO elite and major podiums. It's funny because at Glow, she would have tied the record for the most elite or major podiums without a win, but then she won. So she's not on that list anymore, and she probably feels pretty good to be off that list.
2: Yeah, and so let's actually take a look at that list of players with podiums but no wins. If she had gotten that 15th, uh, she would have had a tie between Liz Lopez, who was the 2008 Rookie of the Year, same year Paul Macbeth won, and she played on tour for four or five seasons, but she kind of slowly stopped playing tour events by around like the mid-20-teens. And also at 15 is Jen Allen, who did get a really big win in 2023 with the silver win at Beaver State Fling going head to head with Holland Hanley. Right below them at 14 is Lisa Fakus, who's been a staple on tour for a number of years now. We also see Courtney McCoy with 13 podiums. She was playing back in the Des Val era. Hannah Bloomers has 10. I mean, I think we're all hoping that she will get that win sometime soon, ideally. And Ella Hansen has nine podiums. Also, still an up-and-coming player like Henna, and looking to ideally grab a win perhaps in the next few years.
0: It's a list of really good players and well let's talk about how own took it down at deglo she averaged exactly a thousand rated and became only the seventh woman to average a thousand rated at an elite or major event it's a kind of consistency that's really hard to maintain especially across four rounds it was just the 14th time a player had averaged at least a thousand at an elite leader major of at least four rounds and Kristen Tatar was the only other player to do it in the last three seasons before a couple weeks later, Missy Gannon also did it at Worlds. So just that consistency going back to what we were talking about earlier, you talked about the putting, you talked about the game plan. The other thing that I think about Own's game that kind of lends to her consistency is with that force over flex shot, her miss tends to be low. And so she might be going for a 300 to 350 foot drive, and if she misses, then she's still in the fairway. She has a longer approach, but as we mentioned, she's not worried about the putt and she has a good approach game. And so she's not taking huge numbers where someone like Henna or Ella that are on that list, they see a 500-foot shot and they say, well, I can park that. And then they go OB and then maybe they have an upshot that lands in C2. They miss the putt and suddenly they're taking a five where Own says, I'm going 300 feet. And if she misses, she's like, oh, now I've got a 300 foot approach. No big deal. She lands in circle two. She bangs a putt. She gets a par.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally right about that kind of breakdown in style play. Something that we've you know, talked about with Kristen and some of the other players is this inability to do the small things correct that seems to elevate some of these players up above. And so from Owen's perspective, it's that short game. Either the approach is parked and she doesn't have to putt or... If you watched the Shelly Sharp coverage, you saw her skip one in <laughs> as an approach shot. Or she's put it anywhere where she has a look at the basket, and she's knocking down far more of those looks, regardless of where they are, than other players. So it's getting those small details right that really seems to have lifted her above other players who can outshine her in other elements of the game. It was unfortunate to see her DNF at Worlds. I think we were all hoping she would have been part of the battle there, perhaps. But outside of that, she had podiumed at nine straight events, which is the longest stretch of any non-multi-time world champion, which is a really fun group of people to throw her in the mix with. With her in the Masters-eligible part of her career, it will be interesting to see how she racks up the titles on that end of the division as well. And so I can only imagine we'll be giving her additional accolades in the future.
0: Just an incredible podium streak. For any player to go nine straight events on the podium, is it's a career achievement. And I think, again, it speaks to her play style of she might not be one stroke or two strokes from the win but she can consistently be on the podium because she's taking more pars she won d without getting a birdie on a par three i mean how do you that's <laughs> just crazy to think about but um uh, really leaning into her play style playing her game not playing anyone else's game it reminds me and not just from the forehand perspective but sarah hokum She spent 13 years at major events in the top 10, not missing a top 10. And some of the staples of her game are knowing her shots, knowing her bag, and playing to her abilities and with that consistency. And now, as course design has kind of pushed her out a little bit more um, than other players that have a little more versatility in their game you know we've we've seen Hokum kind of fall off there but Own is is just getting started. It was funny.
2: We were walking from one hole to another and she was talking about how there are some people who have said that they hate her backhand form and she just was saying how she she really feels like she can't do much about it at this point. <laughs> I'm sure that she could if she really wanted but you know, she's very established in how she's throwing the disc. And we were saying like, it really doesn't matter what someone thinks of your form at this point, because look at what you've been able to do with it despite that. So she does recognize that she's lacking some of the distance of the other players, but she's more than making up for it in other categories. So and I think the forehand still is just a huge weapon that not every player on tour has. Yes, she's not throwing like those pure Heiser power forehands that perhaps we do see a few players coming up with, but just to be able to attack those holes that are moving left to right so effectively has been a huge weapon for her. The other thing I want to say about Own is that we always talk about her as such a fan favorite for how she engages with spectators and fans and I just want to say she is truly that nice in person <laughs> as well. I th- I've had the opportunity to engage with a lot of players now on more of a peer setting, either you know through a practice round or through a competitive round. And oftentimes players are different in that setting than when you are purely talking to them as just a fan, but- Man, own truly is exactly as nice as you think that she would be. Uh, she saw me getting out of my van in the morning. So while we were waiting on one of the holes, she's giving me the lowdown of how to do van life on tour and all, all the <laughs> tips and tricks I should pick up. And I just thought, wow, like you have just met me <laughs> and and here you are trying to give me the rundown for life on the road. So she is a fan favorite for, for a great reason. She really is that nice.
0: Well, that's nice to hear that what you see is what you get. And it's nice to have those kind of beacons of, of lie down on the course, making everybody's day better. The other thing, just quickly going back to the form, as a player in her 40s, as a rather small human being, even if she completely reworked her form to be like Paige Pierce, she's realistically not going to throw 500 feet. And so I think her prioritizing her putting, which she has done throughout the years of just always being on the putting green, is a better use of her time than... Trying to gain an extra twenty feet of distance because she can hit a putt that's twenty foot longer than any other player, so why spend that time completely reworking your form and introducing inconsistencies when you can just hit your spots and bang the putts?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and truly, it's really not like she's a slouch either, like I think <laughs> yes, are there, there are players with more distance, but she has enough to be competitive. Like, you know, maybe she wasn't reaching the par threes at DGLO, but I would say, generically, I wouldn't expect her to miss every par three, you know? Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. think that she would lack the distance for all of those.
0: Well, we'll move from own on to our other first-time winner, Matty O, and here's some words from Corey Merle on Matty out on tour.
1: You know, he had the nickname Good Finish Matty because the inevitability that he would play a tournament and that people would just be like ah you know what but good finish maddie played well out there it was almost like he accepted that as reality as the way that it is and i know that he wanted to win one i know that he visualized himself winning one but i don't know if he even believed that he could win one until mvp opened now that he did like Are we about to see Maddie reel off like the best season? Like the thing that was holding him back was that he couldn't win. Now he can win. (laughs) I don't see why there's any reason why Matt Warren can't be the best player in the world next year.
0: So Emily, what do you think? Is Matty O going to be the 2024 player of the year?
2: That would be really cool, but I'm not sure I really see that happening. Um, (laughs) Not because I think this was some flash in the pan moment; we'll never see him potentially win again. But it's just it's so tough out there, and there are so many other players that are out there gunning for the win. And I I think do have higher ceilings than him. So could he surprise us all? Sure, but it it definitely would be a surprise to me. Let's take a look here at some stats around Mattio. He gets his first Elite win at his 138th Elite or Major start. 138th. Wow. This was 7,413 days since his first. That is over 20 years. It is the longest gap of first cash to first win at Elite or Major events. The next closest we saw was from Double G who had a stretch of 5,061 days before his 2019 win, and that is six and a half years shorter than Matty O. So think about that for perspective. In his 12 previous podiums, he had the most podiums without a win, but now he's off that list, just like (laughs) Owen, because he has that win. And if we take a quick look at his podium history... He almost won the MVP Open, which was called something else, in 2010, but he ended up losing that year on the last hole to Nico. He got his first podium at the 2005 Worlds. He also got a podium at Worlds this year, so that was 18 years after his first Worlds podium, the longest stretch between Worlds podiums that we have seen in MPO. At the 2006 Texas State Championships, he ended up losing by one stroke to Barry Schultz. And in the 2010 Skylands Classic, he lost in a playoff to Feldberg. So certainly he had these moments early on where we thought he was going to take that win, but it took until 2023 to actually see it.
0: Just a, a storied career and we'll quickly take a look at that list of those top podium finishers without a win that Maddie got himself off of. Number one is Johnny McRae. He leads it with 10 podiums and his closest that he got to a win was that infamous USDGC in 2014 where he's throwing his drives on hole 17 and he just looks up at the sky and just asks why this is happening to him and uh, lost in a three-way playoff. Uh, Will Shustrick won that, and Macbeth was the other one in that playoff. I'm really excited to see Johnny playing at the Chess.com Invitational in a couple of weeks. He's MP50 eligible now, but Johnny had a heart attack on the course either last year or the year before, and he's he's really made a comeback to, to be playing and competing again, and he's played really well at that course. So don't be surprised if you see him up on the leaderboard early on in the tournament So after Johnny with 10 podiums, there's a three-way tie at six podiums without a win. First up is Brian Schwebiger. Schwebby, he's the PDGA Pro Wins leader. He has 394 pro wins. I wrote that last week, and so he might be at 395 knowing Schwebby. He's playing all the time. Very successful on the regional scale, was never able to get a, a win on the Pro Tour and then we have Aaron Gossage, also with six podiums. He had two playoff losses in those six podiums, the infamous 2022 Worlds um, against Paul Macbeth out in Emporia, and then this year, 2023, in Portland against Adam Hamas. And Joel Freeman, also still out on the road, has six podiums without a win. Emily, what are your thoughts about the differences there where we have in MPO, a pretty short list of people with a lot of podiums without a win, and Johnny McRae at the most with 10. Whereas on the FPO side, we have five players in the double digits of podiums without a win.
2: I think it speaks in part to the level of dominance we have seen from some of the players previously in FPO. So I think more so than in MPO, we had the eras where the top was sort of untouchable, and then there was just everyone else. So you may have been competitive against everyone else, but you really weren't cracking that one spot because you had a player like Dez or Val or JK or Paige or Katrina pretty much guaranteed to take that week in and week out. It would be way too much work to really be reasonable, but I think that if we took a look at the stroke differences, For players on those two different lists, I imagine that we might see wider gaps on the FPO side than on the MPO side.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Going back to that FPO list, I was looking up some information on Liz Lopez for this, and she had a lot of those events where she was in second, and she might have been in second by a clear margin, but she was five or six strokes back of Val Jenkins. And similar with Courtney McCoy, where she was in that position so many times of, of being the next best, but not quite up to the level of the player who was just far and away better than than everyone else at the time. And uh, think about the styles of the players. So Johnny McCray, you know, he's known as just an incredible putter. He can hit putts from anywhere. And it's kind of like Own <laughs> of being able to get yourself in position to to score even if he was or still is a backhand dominated player. So maybe he couldn't form all the shot shapes all the time, but was able to to hit a big putt when he needed to and and get into that podium position. Jen Allen is kind of the opposite to where we have a lot of players who are really consistent on tour, and that gets them into that position. And Jen really excels at distance. A lot of her podium finishes are at DDO. They're at the memorial. They're at courses where her distance brings her into the conversation with the players at the top, the pages and Katrina's. But then she can't always necessarily compete when when she has to rely more on the rest of her skill set to be successful. And Jen also, you know, held down a full time job for the majority of her touring career. When she was out on the road, it was just for shorter stretches while she was was working. And so harder to build up consistency in those stretches of intermittent play out on the tour.
2: Yeah, I think it's no surprise that we saw the most success from her this past year because I think that marked only her second year in a row now Mm -hmm. fully on tour. So that means that she finally got like all of the reps of a full year on tour the year before as well as learning how to deal with the schedule. I remember seeing posts from her on Instagram talking about how exhausting and grinding it can be To be out there. And certainly the other players on tour knew that, but I think that was new for her. And, you know, she has a family as well. So she is juggling a lot, but it wasn't surprising to me that she had a successful year because she finally, I think was able to really dedicate time to her putting, I think is probably the biggest weakness people have pointed to previously. And it was her success being able to hit some of those putts that led to that Beaver State win. I know she's only continuing to work on it, so it will be interesting to see how she competes this year coming up. I know she's spending a ton of time on it again, and with that distance skill that she has, there's no reason why she can't be competitive at a number of different courses.
0: Yeah. And, and she has found success on more wooded tracks as well. She had a podium at Masters Cup in 2017. And so definitely don't want to just put her in a box as only a distance player. But I, I just love that the two top FBO pros in the Southwest our own Scoggins and Jen Allen. And the number of times that they've gone head to head, both in Arizona at those courses, Vista and and Fountain Hills, as well as places like Goat Hill in California, where you would just expect Jen to just walk away with the win because that course is so open and so long, but owns Beater there two or three times. And it's always a battle and it's always fun to watch. Pulling it back to Matt Orem for a second, He definitely fits the molds that we've been discussing about these players and about own of that consistency. So if we look at Matt's 2023 round ratings at elite and major events, his median, so right in the middle, he's shooting 1038 and a half, which is fantastic golf, but he has the narrowest interquartile range, meaning his middle 50% of his rounds. It's less than 20 ratings points. And so he's shooting in this really tight window, but 1040 isn't enough to win you an event. So yes, 25% of his rounds are over 1050, but can he string enough of those together in an event to be able to pull off the win? And it was great to see him do it at MVP. Maybe he can level up and start finding that consistency at that higher level, but what we've seen in the past is just an incredibly consistent player, but who's consistent just a little below the bar he needs to be to get that win.
2: Yeah, I I think it's sort of a case of his floor is in a great position. If we look at how tight his round ratings are, it's obvious that when he has a sort of off day, it's not nearly as off as we see from other players. So that's awesome. But he's got to push the ceiling a little bit more. He's got to be reaching for a little bit more, just more often, I think, than we have seen him do it because... To your point, we need to see it in multiple rounds at an event in order to get it done. And it can sometimes be that desire to push for a little bit more that is how some players push their floor down farther as well. So it will be interesting to see if he makes any adjustments to try to do that, or if we see anything from his gameplay that indicates he's pushing for that aggressive option more
0: often. And just a comparison, Calvin Heinberg was overall uh, probably an outlier <laughs> with how well he was playing this season. But we mentioned Matteo's median was 10 38 and a half. Calvin's 25th percentile was 1039 and a quarter. So Calvin's shooting 75% of his rounds at 1040 or higher, while Matt's only shooting 50% of his rounds at that level. So that's how Calvin was pushing up and he had more podiums this season. Go back to listen to our (laughs) our episode about uh, his great season, but can Matt level up and get more wins by playing at that higher level more consistently?
2: Yeah, because the other thing we haven't talked about quite yet is like, let's not forget that the win he got this year was from the chase card. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't on that lead card. He didn't have that lead card pressure. He didn't go into the final round with the lead. But he ended up winning by four strokes. And that is tied for the largest margin of victory that we saw from someone coming from the chase card. It ties 2018 Idlewild victory for Macbeth. So That's another thing to consider is does he perform as well under the pressure and the expectation to go close out the win versus did he really relish the opportunity to just kind of shoot his shot, so to speak, from the chase card knowing he basically had nothing to lose?
0: Yeah, as we get into 2024, one of the big things I'm going to be looking out for kind of combining that thought with some of the discussion with Andrew Fish from last week we're seeing more chase card champions. Is it because we have players who, when they're on the chase card say, hey, it's all or nothing. I can win this, or I can take 10th or, or 20th, and either way, I'm, I'm gonna gun for the win because I don't need to worry about putting gas in the car this week. So I'm going all out, and they can shoot these 1080, 1090 rounds from the chase card. And if the person in front gets nervous when they see him in the rear view, then we could see more, more chase card champions. Especially interesting was how last year we really bookended the season with those chase card champions. We saw three of them really early on Waco open at Austin and music city. All those were March and April, and then it took all the way until MVP to get the fourth at the end of the season. So I think if there's a time for chase card champions, it's probably going to be at these opening events chess.com at a a new layout at a course that not all these players have played. We could see scores going up and down like crazy. And then we're getting into that stretch again of Waco and and Austin and Music City where we saw Chase Card Champions last year. Players are coming off the off season. Their consistency might not be dialed in if they're not playing every day. It's going to be exciting.
2: Yeah, I think that you're highlighting on something that's really interesting to think about too, which is I think Fish was kind of talking about making like a gameplay decision to be aggressive. And at some of the courses where we saw these chase card winners, I think we can clearly point to a number of holes where that opportunity is presented to the player. If you want to be more aggressive in your play, you can potentially pick up the eagle and get that extra stroke. But at Maple Hill... I I actually can't imagine that Matteo changed his play style. Mm-hmm. And for me, that just came down to execution. So I have to imagine he's playing every hole the, the way he wanted to play them. But because they're wooded holes and tight fairways to deal with there, it can just come down to, did you actually execute the shot that you drew up? And if you did, now you're in position to the birdie but you didn't have to make a different decision about how to attack that hole. So that will also be something interesting for us to look for because the tour does favor a little bit more of those open courses without a bounds. We may be giving players more opportunities to choose to be aggressive and we can see how that pans out. But at some of these other tighter courses, it may just come down to who isn't feeling the pressure in a bad way that prevents them from executing.
0: The other thing that I'm interested to see as we get into this season, there was a little bit of an evolution at a couple events last year where the pro tour started playing around with A and B positions for baskets. And with the in, having the intent of this position is a little bit easier and more scoreable and then the other position being more challenging and getting some more score separation. So I wonder if the pro tour is going to embrace that philosophy on more courses and start to implement that more. I think it's a little bit less exciting than the decision making aspect because then really you're just you're playing to the hot hand of okay, we're in the short position or the easier position today, you just have to execute just 100% lights out. Whereas some of the decision-making aspects I find really interesting of do I lay up before the water and get the easy score that I know I can execute, or do I take the high-risk, high-reward shot that has more danger could lead to a big blow-up? Those I think is where there's a lot more drama that's built up, but it's harder to design like that.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I I also want to see more interesting decision-making The A and B was kind of fun idea, but I'm not sure it really panned out on a variety of the holes where they had the A and B positions. I think Maple Hill hole two had an A and a B. And what I recall hearing from at least like the MPO was basically like, it's the same shot, just you're either past the basket putting 20 feet or you're putting 20 feet up to the basket. So (laughs) it's a good idea. But I think that's actually asking for for more to execute well, to do the A and the B position versus just a single well-designed hole that you're not worried about fitting in two slots for that are somehow interesting, but not so wildly different that going to have players annoyed with you that they're practicing four courses in one. So <laughs> I love that we're closing this out with our Discussion of these two fan favorites who got their first W's this past season. I know it was just awesome to see for everyone in the disc golf community because they've been around for a while and they're both very beloved. So I think a great way to close out the discussion of what we've seen in the 2023 season. And I'm already thinking ahead to, you know, what kind of episodes will we have for next year? The 2024 season, what will be some of the big storylines? And I'm hoping that when we do this for the 2024 season, we'll have some exciting episodes about breakout rookies or younger players who finally crack into that number one spot and get some of their first wins. So, what about you? What are you looking forward to?
0: That's definitely going to be one of the main storylines. And I think the other is going to be comeback. We have Paige Pierce coming back from injury, Katrina Allen coming back from a real collapse in her form, Paul Macbeth coming back from injury, Eagle McMahon. We have these players who have won just a massive proportion of the events in the past who have been out and really kind of allowed the rest of the field some time to, to get their game and get some wins. And they're going to be coming back. Will they show up with the form that they need to be able to be as competitive for the win every week, or will we see them in the top 10, but maybe not pushing for the win?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's going to be really exciting to watch. Man, so close to the season being here.
0: and i think we'll see a couple players get off this most podium list whether it's henna or ella or aaron gossage i think is probably on on the mpo side most likely to get off that list of uh, players towards the top so it's going to be a good one well with that thanks for listening to this season of the statline enjoy 2024 and we'll see you next time